to the fun bit. Melbourne talk, and we are actually going to be having another northern suburb Melbourne talk if you know people missed out on tonight. Uh, that uh, will be coming up in our uh, newsletter, but uh, Geraldine at <coughs> Charles Latrobe College in Kingsbury. Okay, Charles Latrobe College in Kingsbury in July. July the 23rd. Sorry. Um, but we've been so fortunate with our Victorian judges. We do hold a lot of outreach with our um, judges' talks in Victoria, and so we're thrilled that we've got three Victorian members on our panels um, who so capably and uh, well speak to a range of um, community groups, um, schools, um, uh, professional development uh, teachers. So <laughs> we're just so very happy that Joe Manti and Brooke are coming to work with the team tonight uh, and tell us more about their experiences and the books on the shortlist. First off, we have Amanda Cooper, who is a primary teacher of 35 years experience, so very well versed in the ground of nature <laughs> of children's literature, and uh, has worked with Books Illustrated uh, and is the co-founder of Gallery for a Day, a fantastic travelling exhibition of original illustrations uh, from well-known Australian picture books, which is perfect for an incursion for any primary school and I know Amanda's been very generous with her work with that and um, as an artist a bit lost in, in some of the curriculum and we appreciate your, your value that you add to schools with that service Amanda. Um, but Mandy's going to come and speak to us about the early childhood category. So it's my pleasure to start things off tonight. Um, I'd like to just say it's been an honour to be a judge and I've been lucky enough to be one for three years in the same category. So by the final year, sort of knew what I was doing, I think. Um, it's, it really is an honour and I'd like to pay tribute to the creators of our books because I've read a lot of them over the time and the authors, illustrators, editors, publishers, all the people who put in um, to make a book happen. Uh, I just am so in awe of their talent. So I just wanted to say that to start with. This is the 73rd year, I think, of the Book, book Week Awards. And as you can see, this year there were 488 titles overall entered. Um, the stats are up there. And in my section this year, there were 121. And it's really delightful to see that the first year that I did this, there were 82. The next year, there was 102. And for this year, 121. So I think publishing of children's picture books is in a very healthy state. Um, I'm not going to go over, we've only got 20 minutes each tonight, so I'm not going to go over the criteria of how we judge the books, but if you do, if you are interested, of course, first and foremost, it's literary merit and how everything ties in. We've got plot setting, characterisation, um, themes, writing, mood, design, illustrations, all of those things that have to come together to make an excellent picture book. So the entries in early childhood have to be suitable in content for pre-beginning readers and the age range is zero to six-ish, um, including 
the various types of books that we have here. Very hard to get to a shortlist. We had the notables, and this year we only had 20 notables, and there, there was a distinctive cutoff this year. Previous years we've been able to have more, and it's, you know, you do have a lot of books that you absolutely fall in love with that don't make it through to the notables when you've got 20. Um, I won't highlight those tonight. The notable <coughs> books are there, but there are even some that weren't notables that were really excellent books, and I hope that they find their people out there in, in bookshops and libraries. Um, I think I'll just go straight into the books, and then if there's any questions and we've got a couple of minutes, you can ask me anything that you'd like to. The first one I'd like to talk about is Heads and Tails, this absolutely beautiful book from Burbay Books, written and illustrated by John Canty. It's a um, second book in the series, and the first was called Heads and Tails, and it was just about different types of animals. This one's just about insects. It's absolutely beautiful. The quality of the production is amazing. I'm just going to show you how it works. I live in a hive. I make honey. I can sting you. I am. And then you see the back of the insect. And then when you turn over, they reveal I am a bee. And so on and so forth. It's just delightful. So it's, there's information, it's educational, it's fun, it reads aloud really well. And we, the judges just thought it was a really, really quality book. And a little bit different too. Um, the illustrations are, are quite beautiful watercolours and you've got almost a scientific overlay of ink as well. Absolutely beautiful book. And if you get a chance to have a look later on, please do. Um, it's very artistic. The other things that we loved were uh, the font had an old-fashioned feel to it, which really added to the overall look of the book. Sort of an old-fashioned big format, which children really love as well. I'll keep moving. I, I usually talk too much and too long, and I'll get the wind-up. So. Okay, The Dress-Up Box by Patrick Guest, illustrated by... Nathaniel Ekstrom. Now Patrick Guest had a book shortlisted last year with The Second Sky that you might remember that was also a beautiful story. This one's very different. The Dress Up Box is about a family who are moving house. But the, the different thing about this one was that they actually rent. Quite a lovely colour. Front cover. Muted tones. <coughs> the Frollies rented a fabulous house at 32 Sunshine Avenue. It had a frog pond in the front yard, a bird bath out the back, horses on the side, and their best friends, the Chung family, on the other. And they have to move because the house is being sold. And they end up, I think it's, um, they move to 13 Gangwort Street. <laughs> so it's, it's the absolute opposite where there's dripping taps and an opera singer, scary opera singer who sings next door. But being kids, they're resilient. Oh, stinky carpets and ants. Uh, they're resilient and they make things out of the boxes that they move 
have had their dress-up box there that they had so much fun with at their other house. So it's a really good book about moving house. It's a um, just all about family and friendship and really appropriate to the age group. Very spare text, not a word left over, but really good fun and it's one that I think children would really resonate with. And, and it, not all families own their own homes, so it was really refreshing to see that one there. The illustrations really work well with the text and there's lots to look at as well as reflecting what the text says. Our next one, I have to say I absolutely couldn't believe this one when I took it out of the box. The colour is just spectacular. Rainbow there, Stephen Michael King, and it's a scholastic book. So you have this really colourful cover, it feels beautiful. You open it up and it almost looks like a colouring in page. And then, so Dad, the polar bear, has been away and he comes home and he brings his children some art materials. And they're just a really loving family and it's beautiful to see. They spend all day together, but of course he's been away working, he's very tired. Those beautiful illustrations, full page, then the small ones that just highlight the colours against the white. And the children painting overnight. And this happens every night and he just can't figure it out. And then there's beautiful illustrations where he jumps in the, into the water each day and all the creatures from the polar bear world. He does work it out through the footsteps and they have a wonderful day. I just, I think for me this book, seeing a family um, who so caring for each other and include their children and have great fun together, um, it just really resonated with me. Stephen Michael King's text, you know what his books are like. It's almost poetic, very simple but and gentle, but just so beautiful to read aloud. And at the end of the story, they decide that they will all go together the next time. And then you see this really detailed illustration of them all. It looks like they're in India, so they're travelling together. Just a stunning book. Beautiful design factors too with the fonts used. Okay. Noni the Pony rescues a joey. Well, we've all met two previous Noni books by Alison Lester that have been really successful. And this one, I have to say, I just love this one. I think it's a, a bit of a masterpiece. Same characters. We've got Noni the Pony lives near the sea. She's friendly and frisky and loves running free. With Coco and Dave, she heads out for the day to roam in the hills behind Waratah Bay. The friends wander down a leafy green trail where they meet someone small with a very long tail. And it's a lost wallaby, this lost bear moth. And then they go throughout asking the other Australian animals, have you seen family and they can't find the family and Noni says come with me and I 
for little children, especially really little children, it's just such a story of being kind, looking out for someone, having fun with your friends. Um, I think knowing the Prime Minister would have been good. <laughs> and the beautiful ending, the ladies next door knew a beautiful tune and they all hop and hop by the right canoe. The rhythm and the rhyme in, in, these, in all the Noni books, but especially this one, it's faultless. And the illustrations are just beautiful. Watercolours, bright, vibrant watercolours. Absolutely love the Noni book. How am I going, Jo? She's usually got the watch on me. All right. Now, the next one is also by Alison Lester. And the three judges, the other two judges who were in my category, we ummed and out a little bit about, oh, people will say you've got two Alison Lester books on your shortlist. Well, if someone's book deserves to be on a shortlist, let that be. There are, it's happened many times. It's not the only time this has happened. This is quite a different book. You can tell that Alison Lester has um, lots of little grandchildren because Tricky is Patrick. He's having a really bad day. Everything goes wrong. The publisher is a firm books. Nothing's going right for Tricky. Spills his milk, his pyjama buttons don't work, his little sister wrecks his game. When he tries to be helpful, everything gets worse. His mood becomes grumpier and grumpier. And if anyone's ever had toddlers, you know how that can really affect the whole family. And we can laugh about it when it's over, but at the time, you're pulling your hair out. And in this story, Mum's gone to work and Dad's got the kids and there's two little sisters as well. It's also written in rhyme. Um, little vignettes as well as full page illustrations. Tricky woke early when it was still night. He didn't call out or turn on the light. But his bottle was empty until his was too. So he set out to fill them like Mama would do. And he spills the milk over for all of this goes on and on. And things are really bad until Dad says, when Mum comes home, we'll go for a walk. And it's one of the wonderful things about this book is the healing, healing power of nature, of going for a walk outside, of breaking up the mood by actually physically removing yourself. And I, I know ourselves as adults, if you're feeling a bit down, if you go for a walk along the beach, you can't help but feel better. And this is what happens to Tricky. And he, he goes and jumps in puddles with Dad and climbs a treehouse. And by the end of the story, he has a bath with Mum and says, oh, that was a great day. So <laughs> it's being able... The, so it's sort of a deceptively simple story of a, a toddler tantrum, but how you can change it if you are strategic about... Um, and a great example for kids reading the book of, well, this happens to them too. Think about Tricky. What could you do to make your day better and all of those things? Just classic, perfect story for that age group. First time I think that Alison's actually drawn animals in a human domestic setting, which would have been a bit of a challenge for her. Um, but it's really a lovely, lovely book. And it's funny that tonight... Michelle Scully is here because I bought this with me not knowing you were coming. If you haven't seen this yet, 
This is a CD of music that Michelle has written to Alison's stories. And Tricky's Bad Days on the CD, and I'm not meaning to spruik, I'm just meaning to, if you want to immerse kids in books, there's so many different ways of doing it. They can listen to the music. The song is hilarious, and there's other ones on the CD as well. My favourite is The Very Noisy Baby, I have to say. But Tricky, it's just another lovely thing that you can do with picture books as well. So, Colton Shaw, for she's and I think I've only got one left, which is Here Comes Stink Bud by Toby Riddle. Now, it's a very young book from Toby Riddle, a little bit different some, from some of his other books that he's done. Very spare, hardly any text, absolutely fabulous. Real cartoon-like characters. And we have the text at the top of the page and then we have another text in the speech bubbles. So the text at the top, you could read right through almost without even reading the others, but together they just give a lovely, deeper texture to the whole story. Here comes Stinkbug. Sometimes Stinkbug stinks. Somebody make him stop. Oh my, that smell, it's preposterous. Oh, suddenly I don't feel so good. And when Stinkbug stinks, he really stinks. And so there's a lot of wordplay on the word stink. Um, quite like this one. Stinkbug didn't mind a little bit of stinking, but others were less enthusiastic. <laughs> so Stinkbug has to learn to curb his stinking around others. But then they have to accept that sometimes being yourself is a good thing to be. Um, that's an adult reading into the story. I don't think kids would even think about that. They might just think, well, isn't it good that Stinkbug was able to do a big stink when the scary spider comes along? This made Stinkbug stink like he'd never stunk before. And Stinkbug decided that while it might not be good to stink all the time, it sure helps to stink sometimes. <laughs> so to accept yourself, read into it, all you want to read into it, but it's so simple and such a great book um, that the three judges agree. And the quality, the pages, make sure you come up and have a feel and a look later on because it's another really lovely book. Gorgeous end pages and one that little kids will just love. So we've got two books about insects, two Ellis and Lester books and two books about families. So a nice balance there. I think that's me. Um, I haven't read out what's up there because I figured you could do that. Picture books in there. Picture books in there. So maybe you have questions at the end of the thing. So. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. thank you. I think we sort of talk about books in such fashion because even though I've got most of them, I've been, oh, no, I've missed that one. I've got it over there for purchase later on. So it's just, uh, yeah, I can't beat it. So thanks for that. Uh, Jared Pankridge is our picture book judge and uh, how lucky are we. Uh, she's the current teacher librarian at Geelong College. Uh, she has a wealth of experience in, in um, education, research, coaching and consulting. Uh, but I think primary, her passion for picture books and her absolute commitment to lifelong reading um, is something that we're tapping into and we've been really privileged to have you as a judge. 
So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I've got to go really quickly too. Um, picture book is always, uh, we find it's always quite a contentious uh, category to judge. There, there are lots of very, very um, different opinions about picture books and what picture books uh, should be able to provide for children. Um, again, this year we had 100, it said 148, but I think we had 150 picture books. And I was talking to someone before, um, the new idea with the long short list, which is going to be um, how we run it next year, uh, as opposed to a notable list, um, has allowed us only to choose 20 books out of our 150, um, which we as a picture book judges found absolutely awful because we had 150 books. Um, Brooks E. Pownell had 50 and so we found that we were only getting about 13 or 14 percent of, of our total amount of books um, in our notable list um, after, after years of having um, between 30 and 40. So that was, that was a, a really difficult um, job for us but we, we've come up with our six. Um, the notable list had a, quite a, a lovely uh, variety of age ranges uh, for children. Our picture book short list was very much this year at the upper end of our 0 to 18 year readership. Um, so we've got a, a, a very big category to judge um, and certainly this year we had a lot at the upper end. Just So given that, um, I'd really love you to have a look at some of uh, the notables and the highlights of the notables. Um, Why I Love Summer, absolutely divine. Uh, boys certainly love that one. Very relatable to children. Um, you can do lots of work with um, your favourite um, season of the year, the things you love about summer. We've done lots of writing about this particular book, which has been amazing. Um, Room on Our Rock. Absolutely stunning, stunning picture book. I was gunning for that, um, didn't quite make it. Um, if you haven't seen that one, that's certainly one um, that's a multi-layered book. You can look at it as, on a superficial level, about some seals that want to find a new home. On a very much deeper level, it can align with the Mediterranean and some of these other books about refugees. Uh, Sonam and Silence is another one. Looks at a little girl's experience in Kabul during the, uh, the reign of the Taliban. We've got The Last Peach, another favourite of mine that just missed out. We have, um, at our school, done a whole project, um, a writing project, a partner writing project, using The Last Peach as, as the uh, provocation. Uh, if you have a look at that one, we haven't got it here. Um, there is no, it's just dialogue. Not even any said this ant said that the next one, it's just pure dialogue and it's absolutely divine. Um, and How Did I Get Here is another absolutely stunning, stunning book that I really love too. Um, for science children, uh, again, we've used that in our science classes. That's the Big Bang Theory for five-year-olds and it's absolutely brilliant. So you really need to have a look at that. And Phil Bunting had Mo Pope last year on the shortlist. And he's also has the Divine Kookaburra and a few others. Very fast. <laughs> At another time and in, in another life space, I would love to talk about how we connect books to children and, and what is the best way we can make connections and get children to be those avid, engaged readers that we really, really want. And 
from my experience, and I'm sure you would all um, feel the same, that we've got to make those connections um, with what's in a book and the experiences and the journeys of children and all, um, characters in books with our own children's experience. Because once they can connect to these, these experiences that other readers are having and live vicariously through those experiences, they really relate to the books and they become immersed in the books. So, I mean, that's another conversation. Um, but when I was looking at the picture books, the older readers and the younger readers, there seemed to be a theme that ran all the way through that I thought would make a really lovely umbrella provocation for choosing any of these books to work with in your classrooms or in libraries. And it was the idea of journeys and the importance of journeys that characters have in the books, so journeys of self-discovery, journeys through time and place, and how those journeys, we can connect to our own journeys. And children can experience these journeys and look at other people's journeys. So I kind of looked at um, self-discovery. So those coming of age books, those, those um, characters that, that learn about themselves, learn about their places in the world, and learn about um, what's really important to them are all explored in, in all those uh, books on the short list in the uh, younger readers, older readers and the picture books. And then we had... Am I going to... <laughs> then we had Journeys in Time and Place. And these books looked at um, ideas of uh, refugee experiences. They looked at th those more intense and sometimes um, journeys that are fraught with anxiety, with pain and with hurt, uh, but also uh, journeys to new experiences and new lives. So um, that was kind of that one. Okay, so to our short list, the first book is Girl on Wire. Um, Girl on Wire is, is an absolutely beautifully uplifting, um, simple but, but glorious story about a young girl struggling uh, to build her self-esteem and struggling with anxiety. Um, if you've read the book, the language is very spare but beautifully selected and it builds this, this sense of emotion and fear and anxiety that this girl is facing. So the girl walks a tightrope. I think there's... She walks a tightrope, afraid she will fall, and there's a lovely moment when she, she notices that there are people watching from the windows. And that is a metaphor for people watching this girl and almost willing her to fail. So there's this sense of um, exposure and, and, and fear of failure. Um, but she finally comes to the realisation that there are those who love her and will support her, who will, um, who will pick her up and get her back on her journey. Um, so again, this is this, this beautifully relatable theme that you could explore in your classrooms about anxiety and bravery and resilience. And if anything like my school, young children now really need a lot of work in resilience. Um, it also talks about relationships, significant relationships, and who you find and where you go to for those sort of relationships. And it, that one offers great connections, and you could do lots of work with, this is what this girl's facing, this is what I'm facing, how did she feel, how did I feel, what did she do about it, how did I cope with that situation, um, which could generate lots of lovely discussions and a lot of beautiful, um, really deep writing, I would imagine. Um, so the author, Lucy Sellers, she used her own um, 
experience as a young as a young girl as inspiration for this story and as an adult she saw lots of other children particularly young girls experiencing anxiety uh, fear of vulnerability fear of failure and so she decided that she was going to write and she created this girl this girl on a wire but in in uh, reading a review that she um, where she was talking about this inspiration um, she felt that she felt um, very um, vulnerable as a girl but she talks about how as an adult she realized that she'd actually failed herself in that she didn't notice those people around her those people that were there to support her who were probably on their wires themselves but that were able to help her out and um, and so that that became um, the impetus for this story so we've got absolutely oh sorry just that yeah no absolutely stunning illustrations as you've seen in uh, watercolour and paint um, um, Elsie Hurst who wrote uh, who illustrated Series Wall and Adelaide's Secret World uh, absolutely beautiful books herself um, created this character based on sketches of the author's daughter but she wanted to create create this sort of alternate visual world where children could appreciate and, and sort of feel this experience but in a in a sort of a, a parallel world that the children wouldn't actually ever be exposed to so just to have them one step removed so it wasn't quite so intense for them but they understood the metaphor um, so that one's absolutely superb I actually um, read that book at the end of our our school year when we had four or five teachers leaving and doing other things and um, even adults were quite floored by it and, and could really relate to that one. Okay, Chalk Boy, um, illustrated by Mandy Ord and Margaret Wilde. And I was talking to Kate about this one. Um, my Margaret Wilde experiences, and she's probably one of my favourite authors, her pairings have always been with illustrators with a lot softer um, um, artwork. This one, Mandy Ord, they're, they're gritty, they're, they're um, very fast-pacy, they're, they're absolutely amazing illustrations, but very different to the Margaret Wilde books that I've known. Um, but this one's a really multi-layered book. Um, on the surface, it offers a story about a pavement character that comes to life, but on a deeper level, um, the reader's invited to consider lots of social issues like homelessness and isolation, friendship and even belonging. Um, Wilde was saying that her inspiration was um, the side of street chalk artists and their generosity. And she was talking about the generosity of, of artwork that in a moment can be washed away or eroded and just how generous that was. And then she thought about what would a character feel like and how would a character respond to that idea of maybe being washed away or eroded um, and how they would cope with that. So this it's a very simple narrative um, told from the perspective of the character, the, the blue person, um, being created by the street artist Barnaby. Um, we've got really sharp, sharp figures, very edgy artwork, um, mobile phones, blank stairs um, as, as they pass by. So very much that urban idea um, that's showcased there beautifully. Um, Hand-drawn text, colour and placement of words on the page integrate and enhance that gritty mood of urban life. Um, and the, 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 one of the judges 
absolutely adored this book and she said for her that the fact that the main character was in fact an illustration himself showed a clever example of where the book images are absolutely crucial to adding meaning to a story and move that story beyond just the text which is one of the, um, the, the criteria for a picture book um, shortlist. There he is there. This, this one was very different. This came in our first box. And I picked this one up and I thought straight away that this is probably one of the most successful picture books dealing with um, issues of consumerism and the environment and our obsession with material possessions. And I haven't read one uh, like this for a long, long time. Um, this one's a great read aloud. It, it, reads beautifully um, to a group. Uh, it's, it's very rhythmic, it's this cautionary tale, but um, the message is dealt with in a really funny and accessible way. If you've read it, um, children laugh until they get what it's all about. Um, it's multi-layered. As I said, it, it, it speaks about this unfettered consumerism and, and the power of marketing. Um, it's the first book by Michael Speechley, and it was based on, he was doing a Bachelor of Arts, and he had to create, um, he created a series of boxes with useless objects in them, um, as a comment on consumerism gone mad. Um, and so then he decided to write a book about it. But the narrative follows this, um, this boy called Harvey, who anticipates this new toy, the all new must have orange 430. And so he saves, he finds the money, he collects his money, he heads off to buy this thing, he brings it back and he looks at it and he can't for the life of him work out what the hell it's supposed to do, which is really funny. And, and kids can relate to that. It's another one where you could start talking about toys and do we have too many and, and how much is enough and what is our favourite toy and how do we use our toys. Um, so it's very clever, very witty. Um, there's lots of little play on words. The, the, the guy that owns the company, he's called Mr. Ripoff. And they all have to go back to the UOI, which is the Useless Object International, to try and return it and then they can't return it. Um, but, but beautiful sepia tones. There's lots of, lots of oranges, oranges in the dark sepia tones. And text all over the place. So you, you're constantly chasing around um, within the illustrations for the text. So it's a really, really fun book to read. Okay. Cicada. Another mm. stunning, stunning masterpiece by um, Sean Tan. Social commentary again um, that will resonate with both um, children and adults alike. Um, certainly the adults that I've shown this book to have been quite amazed by it. So it's a, it's a story about an, a metaphor for the lives of office workers and people who felt undervalued in a corporate world. Um, it raises issues of belonging and acceptance by others and finding your place in the world with the weight of expectation on you. So Sean Tan said his earliest inspiration was when he was in Berlin in 2005 and he was with a friend and he found this enormous grey 50-storey know, building and he said, with all the windows that were blank, there was one window in the middle with a big red flower in a pot. And he said to his friend jokingly, oh, there must be a, a huge insect that lives in that, that particular uh, cubicle. And that became 
um, one of the inspirations. But um, as we know with Sean Tan, he needs quite a few inspirations uh, before a book becomes um, published. Again, NPAVE is absolutely beautiful, talking, uh, taking the story further as we get the, the idea of, of um, the, city, well, the city and then the forest at the end. Um, he was inspired by his father who after 30 years of working in the one place felt undervalued and unacknowledged. He heard about um, big tech office buildings in China where they had suicide nets to stop people from throwing themselves out of buildings, out of buildings which um, sounds quite awful. And as a boy, he loved cicadas and he used to um, you know, find out as much as he could about cicadas and about their 17-year lifespan. Um, so if you don't know this book, Cicada is um, an office worker in a cubicle, um, grey featureless building for 17 years, uh, the time of cicadas that they live underground before they, they come to the surface and shed their, their skin and walk into nymphs. Uh, he slaves away, he's bullied, he's unrecognised for his efforts. Upon retirement, he climbs the Escher-like stairs. I think we've got a picture of the... No, we haven't? It's all right, don't worry. Yes, okay. Um, and he goes up to the top of the building. Um, we had a few people say, you can't have a story about suicide. Hadn't thought about that until somebody told me. I was ready for him. I sort of had a hopeful um, feeling about it, but um, it could be seen as as potential suicide because he does climb up to the top and looks over the edge of the building. Um, yeah, yeah. But then the last five pages um, are completely textless, and we find the cicada um, splitting and with this beautiful colour. Um, moving off to join the other cicadas. Um, the other very interesting thing about this particular book is that we've got very small text on white. Um, always ending in the refrain, top, top, top. We don't find out until the very end, in the very last page, as he's, as he's shedding his skin. Just up there. Shedding his skin. Let me find what the top, top, top really referred to, and it says, Cicada all fly back to forest. Sometimes think about human. Can't stop laughing. Top, top, top. So we've even got this grammatically incorrect language of the cicada, which is absolutely beautiful. Okay. Second last one, um, the feather is another one. Mandy uh, was saying that there's two um, Alice and Lester books. We have two Margaret Wilde books. Um, this one is is poetic. It's elegant. It's sophisticated. It's a book about freedom, hope, and potential, um, and extended with Freya Blackwood's dramatic, beautiful illustrations. Um, it's another one, sort of in, in a similar vein to Glenda Millard's um, The Duck and the Darklings, um, that dystopian um, society. Um, beautiful. All our picture books this year have the most stunning covers. Very tactile um, and beautiful, beautiful pages. This one's no exception. Um, written in narrative prose, 
it integrates beautifully within the illustrations. There's lots of illustrations and text all um, blending together. Um, Wilder shown again how she can balance the light and the darkness of her story um, really skillfully. And we have to um, think about Fox and Old Pig and even let the celebrations begin to show that there's always a light side to these heavy, heavy um, ideas she likes to explore. A story set in a dystopian world, a feather falls from the sky and two children gather it up and they want to try and protect it. And they use words like soft and silky and bright to refer to this feather, but they take it to the village to, to get the villagers help in looking after it. And the villagers just want to um, contain it and, and find out what the, the feather can do for them. A little bit like um, John Heffernan's The Island, where there was the sea creature that, that they, um, the villagers wanted to try and contain. Um, beautiful, beautiful illustrations that support this feeling of darkness and light. We have the light feather in this uh, sepia-toned world. As you can see, they're showing the light and there's lots of lovely movement in both the illustrations and the text that moves across the page. Um, Several double page spreads without text allow the reader time to think about what's happening in this story um, and the beautiful message. And there we are, we see that, that, that glorious movement of the feather and the text. Hands up if you've read the Mediterranean. <laughs> um, I think this one will, will be uh, one of the more debated in the shortlist titles and one that we considered in a great deal of detail and it's certainly one for the upper end, as you all know if you've read it. It's not for the faint-hearted. Uh, it clearly puts itself, as I said, right at the very top of our readership and it's consistent with Armand Greta's other recent really dark political satires like Australia to Z um, and The Island and Great Bear. Um, but this one is a visually stained. Uh, book, um, but definitely a, a condemnation of the treatment of refugees and the tragic loss of life in the Mediterranean Sea over the last 20 years. And through it, Armand Greta makes a disturbing and confronting uh, comment on the darker side of humanity. There are only 16 words in the text, and they all happen on the very first page. We've got a picture. Oh, no, we haven't got a picture over there. Um, it says, after he finished drowning, his body sank slowly to the bottom where the fish were waiting and after that the illustrations take over and so from there Greta can, uh, conveys this this grief and this loss and this agony through his highly identifiable very scratchy uh, illustrations we've got these these somber watery graveyards as there's the um the man is being eaten by the fish and um and this this feeling of uncertainty and, and um agony. So at its most obvious level we have, um, it begins with death, the fish is feeding on man, then man catches the fish, um, he sells the fish to buy weapons, he uses the weapons to kill and destroy um, the villages and the homes. Um, the refugees flee, I think that could be the next one, they jump on boats, the boats sink, and they return to this, this watery grave to start this, this rather unsavoury food chain all over again. Um, largely monochromatic um, palette against white to really make um, the things that are important that he really wants us to look at um, pop 
in this particular one. Um, it's not a comfortable read, particularly um, if you read the end. At the end, there is a comment um, by Alessandro Legronde, who's a, a political um, editor, which, uh, who talks about uh, what's been happening uh, with the refugees and um, thousands and thousands, I think 20,000 bodies um, have been found in around the Mediterranean Sea over the last 20 years through um, boats that have been um, sunk. And it does raise the question um, which would make for older children a really great topic of discussion, who eventually owns or has responsibility for this. Um, there is some amazing um, different teachers' notes for all these books. Um, Alan and Unwin, Lamont, um, Penguin, all have some fabulous notes. This, this one is absolutely beautiful if you wanted to have a look at um, the notion of refugees. Yeah. And really haven't got time to talk about this, but um, the Aiden Chambers four question model we find works really, really well in our classrooms. Um, there's, a, there's a slide of that in just a minute. Character portraits of. Um, in small groups, we found that really successful. Um, actually, you could go back to it really quickly. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. yeah, but tell me what you liked about the book. Tell me what you disliked about the book. What puzzles you or what questions do you still have from the book? And that really important idea of connection. And so we get children to, in a group, after reading that book or having it read to them, fill something out like that and then we have um, group discussions and we find that a, a really important way to get kids down deep and dirty with a book, which is fantastic. There's also, just going back, um, all sorts of ideas about um, how you can use them. Kids love making um, book trailers, mind mapping, um, exploring author intent, illustrate, illustrative intent, things like that. Um, but these are all fabulous. I've just um, downloaded those. Um, the Cicada one too is great. That's me. Thank you. Uh, we've got a welcome book trailer to speak about the information book category. Uh, Brooke has a diploma of teaching and graduate diploma in children's literature. I'm as a librarian and runs our own children's literature blog called Tell Tall Tales. So I do like the statement that she believes the book should evoke intrigue and joy as well as develop an inquiring mind, which relates very strongly to her category of the information book. We're actually going to have Brooke stay on the judging panel as a picture book judge for next year, so uh, we'll get to see more of Brooke there too. Following book presentation, we are going to have a presentation by Storybox Library and a screening of Sorry Day. And then after that, we will have time for a Q&A of the judges for any of the younger read or older read categories. And also, Nairi Brown is here from the new illustrator panel as well. So I've got a, a rich number of people here that can answer any queries. So thanks, Rob. I think this is a bit of a series then. I was going to be reading to you tonight. 
So I judged this category with um, Julie Long from Canberra, and it was um, a new area of critique for me, and I really loved it. Um, my own personal learning increased um, as I learned about facts throughout the year and analyzed this type of book. Um, they're more than multi-layered books and they need to be checked at great depth. Uh, verifying the information, the sources, the alignment of everything referenced within the books themselves. And that's on top of the basic facts and illustrations that are presented. I became an expert book detective and Julie and I were at times almost in competition to find out the things that were either really right or sadly often disappointingly wrong. And I still feel really traumatised by one book that specifically talked about an unusual animal part and then covered that part up in the illustration with foliage. It's not the part you're thinking, with a toe. Um, the something that really stood out for me at the end of the year, surrounded by 51 books, was the books that I actually remembered. And I thought, um, if I can remember the facts, those books are really well written, illustrated, edited and published, and that they've woven into my memory and into my heart. Um, that was all on top of meeting the extensive CPCA criteria. Uh, also worth noting is the diversity of this award, which um, this year included picture books through the autobiographies and contemporary books moving towards facts woven through story rather than books of facts and figures. And a statement I often use um, with my students in the library where I work is that non-fiction gives you the facts but fiction gives you the truth. And there's definitely a, a move towards that in this genre that adds to realness and depth. And um, Joe actually shared with me a new way of looking at history, is presenting his story, and I think that's a really great analogy. Um, I think it's interesting to watch changes over time, and actually Mandy shared with me a really great article from Magpie magazine um, which was called The Return of the Information Picture Book by Veronica Forsyth, which talks about the first ever CBCA Children's Book of the Year in 1946, which is the story of Carol Richie in News, which I'm sure a lot of you have seen. Um, she notes that it was a fictionalised account of what the author imagines the EMU would experience using true facts about biological and environmental conditions. There's definitely a move towards these types of books for children of all ages, and I think for adults too. Um, there are a lot of elements to fulfill to be shortlisted in this award, and the six shortlisted books this year are all unique and deserving. They meet the basic criteria of documenting factual material with consideration given to imaginative presentation, interpretation, and a variation of style. They challenge readers to explore the topic further and they are all books that lead to thinking and questioning. And today when I was looking over them, I thought that they were all books that um, you just felt motivated to read again and again more than once. So, I'm going to Okay. Um, bouncing back, there were two books that actually pick up the story of the Eastern Wild Bandicoot um, extinction story. So it's a really hopeful environmental story about saving the Eastern by Bandicoot from the brink of extinction. It's thought, it was thought to be already extinct in a large group, um, but they were found in a tip. Um, they adapted to their life. It actually has got um, beautiful end papers that show how they got um, 
Here's Alf. It really makes it personal. It's almost like a picture of somebody in your romantic piece. Makes it really familiar. And they actually adapted to their life in the tip and built their um, homes in old tires and old cars. And um, they got captured and rescued. And uh, they've now been relocated to a lot of different areas. And they're actually um, protected a lot of the time by Maramadors. And uh, the population is increasing. I think it's a really great, really, um, a great story to show hope to children, um, especially in the light of the devastating UN report projecting all of one million species of animals and plants in the future. Um, so it always it's showing that um, miracles can happen and we can turn the situation around. And there's definitely going to be a lot of talk about in our environment. Um, and this is a, a great book for that. Um, the happiness book is the next one. Also, there were quite a few war books in our category. Um, what made this one stand out was, uh, I think it included toys uh, that the soldiers had made for the captive children that were being kept in um, Chinese Singapore in World War II. And um, it's a book about a book because uh, this is a this true story. Uh, what his name here is uh, Sergeant Griffin, who actually decided he would write a book. He couldn't make any toys, and then uh, Captain Greer illustrated it but they named one of the characters Winston and when they presented it to, um, to be checked, they didn't like that the name was Winston. Um, they thought it was some secret sort of plot and so all the toys were taken away and the book was to be destroyed, but the book got buried and later after the war, somebody dug it up and uh, it got, the little book got produced in 1947 and in 1991. The original of that book lives in the State Library of Victoria, of uh, New South Wales, and it has been on national tour. And if anyone is interested to have a little look, I'm happy to pass it around. This is um, the 1991 little copy of the book. Yeah, I think this was the most personal. This, um, it was the most personal book about war for children. It um, covered similar to similar issues to other war stories, but just because of the toys and because of the reality of that book, it just made it stand out and special. Waves is, um, I think, one of the most amazing books in the category. It's about refugees coming to Australia from 50,000 years ago. The end papers are actually the index, so um, this is telling you who and in what time each double spread 
Creek story will be about. So we start 50,000 years ago and we progress. The most amazing thing that I find about it is the voices. Every single voice is unique to the time, to the situation, to the family that's presented. And the other thing that I really love about it is that nothing really changes, even though time changes, the illustrations don't change, they're very, very similar. And I think that's saying to us that um, it's the same, it's the same for all of us, wherever we come from and however we landed here. Um, all our stories somehow are connected and somehow the same and we're all connected. So a beautiful, beautiful book, really well um, written, should be written in so many styles on each page. <coughs> Um, make-believe, this is actually um, the Escher exhibition in a book. Uh, I went to see this exhibition, it actually really does walk you through from the front page and find it. So that was actually as you walked into the exhibition all the way along. Um, the other, that's great, there we go. Um, the other thing I like about this book is some of the um, drawings are actually nearly uh, true size. So this is actually fairly much the original size. As is, I have another book back, which is my one of my favourites. So I think this is a great book. Um, beautifully bound, the beautiful rainbow edges. It's got, um, it, it does include extra pages for children that um, explain symmetry, perspective, and things like that. It's just beautifully made and you just want to read it again and again. love this little book. Um, I love it because it's written by a 12-year-old girl at the time. I think she's around about 16 now. Um, I mean, we'll read a little bit about this. So it's a treasure trove of informative delights written with amazing high-quality photographs. This beautiful little book is the work of 12-year-old Sienna Stubb. In it, she outlines the birds of her northern East Arnhem homeland and the many unique bird facts based on the birds themselves and the indigenous culture in which she lives. We learn the common English name, Yolmu name, and its moiety. Written in an almost diary fashion, it is warm, inviting, and informative. Sienna originally self-published this book, which her brother then posted on Facebook, and after thousands of likes, it was picked up by Makabala um, Books. I think um, Makabala Books uh, really push the bounds of um, children's book publishing. And I, I think they should be acknowledged for that. They really take risks with their work. And oh, there's some um, just incredible photos in here that you just can't help but love. It's very hard to see, I guess, from there. But this um, crocodile coming to get this seagull. Uh, 
Yeah. Oh, this beautiful kingfisher that almost looks like it, it's part of the branch itself. And this is an osprey that's caught itself a fish, and the fish is actually falling, it's flying along. I think it's really beautifully done. She's done it on a cheap camera. Um, her, her text is just gorgeous. And if you go to Megabyla website, there's a beautiful little video of her that is so endearing as she talks about the journey of this book. And very lastly is Sorry Day. Based on the sorry that needed to be said is the book that needed to be told. I believe this book will stand the test of a, as a historical book. The dual text and two different colour tones set up the two simultaneous stories. Maggie's story, waiting for the sorry day speech with her mother and the story of the stolen generation, all the girls and all the boys as shown on the end papers. Um, there is, I think that these actually come from photos, but I just love it that it's all the boys and all the girls. It's just everyone. Um, I was thinking about the illustrations of this today because when it shows the past um, and the stolen generation it is in sepia tones but the present is sort of sepia pastel and it's so cleverly done that when Maggie gets lost in the crowd you just your heart sinks uh, it's so well written that you feel the emotion and it ends in a beautiful double page spread and it shows those those sepia to pastel tones but it's still a little bit sepia this issue is still hanging around a little bit that's how I figure it um, it's not completely gone and you, 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 it's sort of got a sadness comes through to a joy um, on the day of the slow speech but sort of goes back to sitting um, where pe people are still not all really happy. So I think it shows a little bit that that issue is not resolved. Um, I actually really love this category. Uh, I think I'm going to miss this category. It's been a really great learning curve for me. I learned so much that I'm sure it will help me um, in every other way. Um, I think tonight, uh, Storybot Flyby are uh, going to show the video of um, Sorry Day. Um, there's a very beautiful explanation on their website also by Coral Bass. And there's an extra video that goes with it, which is actually from Prime Minister Kevin Rudd. So, yeah, it's, it's a really great one. That's cool. One snapshot of of books that can both uh, inform and delight, which is the whole purpose of the category. Yeah. Really appreciate it, so thanks. Perhaps if we could just have some uh, the judges come back and we'll take a few more questions about that for those people who are particularly interested in those categories. Is there any book that anyone has read that they'd like to bring to the surface I'll 
the notes? Or would you <laughs> I refer to the notes. Um, I found this one was like watching an episode oh. of Criminal Minds. <laughs> if you love um, psychological thrillers, this one was so pacey, wasn't it? Uh, a brilliant read for um, this old reader category. Sorry? Uh, we don't, do we need the PowerPoint? No, I don't. Well, you can click it on because it just gives yeah. highlights right. the next yeah. book. Yeah. Right. Thanks, no. she's had but 
<laughs> then you hit. <coughs> you just figure it out, and then it changes. Again. Woof. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Sarah's a great speaker. If anyone wants to get her to come talk at your school, she's absolutely fantastic. I've seen her at YA Day, and she also came to our book club. She speaks marvelous, marvelous. <laughs> Just the, one of the most beautiful. The cover for, foretells what the story is going to be about. It's, it's about this this young girl who um, uh, her mother has died. She's living with her father and her long-suffering aunt um, of German origin. So we get these ideas of a German internment during the war, um, a bit of the life of Germans in Australia. But she has this this fascination with death, but it's not a morbid fascination, it's sort of a scientific fascination, and she, she drags all these dead creatures, these dead birds and dead animals, into her room um, because she's fascinated with them, and they all decay, and, and the aunt is going crazy because the room stinks and there are maggots all over the place. But, um, but it's told beautifully that it's in verse, um, and the descriptions of the Australian bush are absolutely mm. divine, aren't they? They're so beautiful. Um, it's just such a beautiful read. And she learns about herself through the story. It's another journey that I really loved. <coughs> and we find out that her best friend and her sister, Annie, who she's, she's in constant companionship with, and, and they find all these animals together before she meets a little um, Aboriginal boy who helps work out how to do taxidermy. Um, because that's her way of, of trying to forestall death. So she becomes a taxidermist. But the story with, with Annie um, is absolutely beautiful, but we find out towards the end that Annie actually died when she was eight. And, um, and this, she turns out to be an imaginary friend. That's her support. And it's through this, this uh, relationship with Annie and her relationship with death and with these dead animals that she tries to... to um, bring back to life through taxidermy, that she, she tries to um, work out um, and, and come to terms with her mother's death. Um, it's absolutely beautiful, and I think uh, particularly girl readers, I'm not sure about boy readers with this one, but girl readers I think would absolutely like that one. Beautiful. A very different take on grief from mm. this one, but two books about death and grief, but that is, it's not, I couldn't put it down. It's just, just so beautiful. So easy, read. very, really lyrical, and just divine language, that one. Don't we do that? Yeah. Oh, well, it's been talked about a lot. I think it's about a traumatic family situation where the father leaves, um, the uh, brother has gigantism, and it's really a story about traumatic relationships all together in the family. But it interweaves encyclopedias coming in. I, I just love that. I just thought it was such a beautiful woven thread throughout the story. It's a great structure, isn't it? Yeah. That's new volumes coming each yeah. each chapter. Uh, and this was the first one I went to because the judges uh, at the conference when they go for the book said, when you finish this book, you will cry the ugliest cry that you've ever cried in your life. And I thought, that's a book for me. I have to read this one. I, I just, um, 
Very good. Mm. That one in your hand. Yeah, that's a, that's another amazing one. Jane, you said you read it twice. <laughs> Kate, use Kate. <laughs> um, new one from Stephen Herrick. This one's in prose as opposed to his previous verse novels. Um, and it, it discusses domestic violence. The book starts out with a young boy who's grieving and still the loss of his father and skips school and borrows the neighbour's dog and heads down to the river to the lake every day. Um, and then a new girl starts at school and she's really wealthy and um, and they become friends and he finds out that her father is, is quite violent to her and her mother and it's about him sort of trying to figure out how he can intervene in this situation. It's, the scenes of violence are, are quite confronting, I found, in it. Um, and it's just been one that's the of the artist Mondrian. So he's, he's learning about art and stuff from this girl. I can't remember the name. Charlotte. 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 Um, and so it's just really beautiful to watch them kind of fumbling through um, this awful situation that they find themselves in. But I, I, I wonder whether because of there's, there's a really nasty scene with a violent father actually um, bludgeons a dog to death. Yeah. Um, that might... <laughs> yeah, I skipped that one. It reminded me of that scene in The Gathering by Isabel Carmody um, with the top. That formative scene in my life. Uh, and I think it's really effective. It's really confronting, but it's so effective. It is effective because it's not a human. Yeah. Mm. And so, even though it's a terrible thing, and everybody loves dogs. And it makes it really real. Yeah. 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 But it also makes the boy in it make sense of his grief for his father. I found that to be very interesting, the two different fathers. You have the really um, well-looked-up-to lawyer father who's really not a very nice man and then his own father who'd been a gambler, a smoker, a drinker and but he, his son came to the conclusion that he was a good person who loved him and so I think the for me that was the thing well, I really yeah, took that's away. That's Stephen Herrick's strength, he writes boys brilliantly, yeah. he writes about Australian class divides. And really well written yeah. but he also writes about some beautiful really positive male role models. Yeah. Yeah, we totally. do have the violent right father yeah. but but we have beautiful men characters that love their, their children, which is I thought was really lovely. Yes, that was a beauty. Solgus. It's probably, um, it is time to actually wind up for the night, even though we could keep talking around passionately about all of these books. If on your way out you wanted to uh, grab a, a nibble and, and grab a judge or someone else in the audience <laughs> 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 A last plug for our merchandise, particularly with uh, something that the big branches printed off to save some schools or, or um, organisations from having to print them off. They're, they're free from the website, but we have done nice um, copies and of all categories, the whole set for $10 if um, people would like to take advantage of that, please do. Um, today's been a really lovely occasion to express our networks as well. We thank most sincerely uh, Storybox Library for coming and, and sharing um, their
passion for, for literature and, and we do consider you very much a friend and partner in, in um, championing literature. And we also thank very sincerely Slash for allowing us to use this beautiful room and wow, we'd love to come back in the summer and use that extraordinary space outside. But thank you to Susan LaMarca for um, joining us and Oh, yeah, she's on the phone, that's okay. Sam, <laughs> you'll have to tell her that we're thanking her profusely for, um, for joining with us and knowing that we're, we're all about sharing stories and supporting educators in knowing more about literature and feeling strengthened and able to share it within their own settings. So uh, we do thank Slav for the room and for helping us put on tonight's event. Thank you all for coming. And we look forward to seeing you at some of our other events during the year. Thanks.